Welcome, welcome to the Diojo Podcast. Fun fact, this is the most popular podcast on the whole interwebs that starts with the Diojo and ends with podcast. <laughs> You're here. And what do we do here? It's a good question. Um, really, it's a discussion with our friends from the property restoration, construction, and insurance communities who are in the trenches daily making things happen. We reach out to them. They connect with us. And through these discussions, we hope to connect and learn from each other, to collaborate and source some creative solutions, especially in these crazy times, and then help each other shorten that dang learning curve, which leads to conquering our obstacles. The Diojo is the do your stinking job dojo, where our goal is to help you develop intentionally. Welcome to another episode of the Diojo podcast. I hope you've had a fraction of the fun listening to it as I have putting it together. Um, I've just been blown away by the reception from people willing to come on and share their expertise. My goal is to grab as diverse um, a group of voices as possible, you know, while staying, you know, on point and within that, you know, service realm. Obviously, um, the Intentional Restorer, which kind of was the launching pad for this. Um, I think I've shared that in pieces, but, uh, you know... I wrote an article, um, I think it was back in 2018, called The Ten Commandments of Xactimate Estimating. And it was really kind of basic principles. And um, But both in my experience training um, other estimators and developing my own skills, uh, and most recently, you know, I had an, an assignment where I was managing a group and brought somebody in that had no industry experience, and that was a fun experience um you know training someone you know from scratch um, i've always enjoyed doing that in the field and it was fun doing that again you know with an estimator and seeing somebody grasp those principles and um and their career has been flourishing as an estimator and so i do not in any way consider myself an exactimate um you know high level ninja or whatever you want to call it but uh just doing some very basic things like structuring your estimate and having a good opening statement and, you know, using F9 notes to explain things that are out of the ordinary and communication with the adjuster and the carrier and the program, um, which coincidentally our guest today, Raymond Titman um, from Titman Wicks, um, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, he is on the claim side as a legal uh, representative, um, you know, working with complex claims. And those are a couple of the touch points that he hits on, especially as we get into um, COVID-19 and how that's all going to unravel. So I don't want to give too much of that away, but it's um, it's really funny to, we talk a lot about tell the story of the loss. Uh, our, one of our most recent guests, Andy McCabe, talks about thickest file wins um, and Rick Dancer, who talked about, you know, the media t drawing the story out and using that to um, promote your brand, especially on the local, you know, um, uh, and I just recently talked to some social media people 
and that was in an article that we had, you know, making the most of your digital marketing. But story is so important. And so whether you're marketing to uh, clients, you know, you want to tell the story of, you know, the value that you bring and paint a picture, right, with your words and your and your visuals. And same thing goes for Xactimate, and that's, you know, that story starts with your sketch. We talked with Andy McCabe about the Matterport camera and how that comes into play, and I've had some feedback on that. That's been really fun. Um, and so, um, and two, a conversation we had, um, I don't know how many of you follow Water Damage Daily, it's a very funny dose of uh, industry-specific humor, but we talked. Uh, we got them on the podcast. We're keeping their identity secure, um, but just talking about how you market your company and then you know master social media. And it's more than just say, "Hi, we're X company and we're the best. Hire us," you know. <laughs> so um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it, you know, like I started to say, is you know, wrote the article Ten Commandments of Exactimate Estimating Success, and uh, that launched um, a monthly column with Restoration Remediation Magazine, thanks to Michelle Blevins, um, you know, called the Intentional Restorer. And so maybe some of you, <laughs> maybe some of you have heard of it, read it, <laughs> really benefited from it greatly, and it's changed her whole life, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, uh, I recently got a copy of, I know I'm going to mess this name up, I'm really sorry, Idan Shipzir. Um, he is the CEO of 911 Restoration, a company that has grown and come up on the map quickly. I know I'm in Oregon and Washington and I see them popping up. But uh, he talks about, you know, starting with nothing but a Volvo and a carpet cleaner that barely fit in the back seat and then building and scaling a business. Um, his book's called Get Out, the Tr Get Out of the Truck. Um, and it's funny going back to, you know, I, I didn't think necessarily that the Ten Commandments would, would, um, I thought it would resonate, but uh, I thought a lot of people would blow it off. And I talked, I've talked to some, some of those Xactimate ninjas and, uh, even they have said, you know, yeah, these are sound principles that, uh, you do see it's crazy. Um, you know, working with a contractor now, helping them learn Xactimate and, um, it's crazy, how they're building a name quickly for themselves because they read or they're writing estimates that tell the story of the loss, you know, use those F9 notes. But Iran um, writes in his book, service is not just about the quality of your work. It's also about how the customer feels throughout the interaction. And, you know, if with the adjusters are part of that equation, the carriers are part of that equation. And if you do TPA work, you know, there's, there's troubles to that, but, uh, you know, you've got to, if you're working for a company that's made that commitment, you've got to make it work. But it's so funny to me, he talks about how, um, uh, this kind of coincides, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, you know, we wrote uh, Garbage In, Garbage Out about how people complain about the documentation they receive from the field. But if we're not providing details to our technicians, you know, we're not setting up the system for success. And one comment he makes in his book as well is, I cannot tell you how many times a business owner has complained to me that business was slow because of the marketing. But then when I called their store, the receptionist was rude, disinterested, or unhelpful. And that's not to put receptionists on blast, but more in his comments are towards, you know, being an owner, being engaged, if you're a manager or an owner, um, and having a system that communicates the things and the values that you want to build. 
you know, and that's got to filter. That's got to come from the top down and filter from the bottom up, right? Um, these are all basic principles that we know, but um, things that we sometimes lose sight of. And it's, uh, you know, business is not a, you know, sit on the bench deal. And um, I appreciate Idan's book. Just, uh, man, it's, you know, he, he wrote it. He's like, you know, trying to be very practical and tell his story. And so you might want to check that out. Um, you know, I've been trying to grab books from people and, uh, you know, this was, it was a very quick read, but a very practical one as well. So um, let's get into our conversation with Raymond. Um, we do talk about his background a bit, so I won't go too much into that. And then I've got some closing comments with um, some new interactions we had with Raymond. We're here with Raymond Titman with um, RJT Associates. He has over 20 years experience um, working in, um, in the legal side of insurance law. And uh, so as we're kind of information's unfolding and um, I guess the allegory we've been using is we each have a little bit of a puzzle piece. And so if we can share our puzzle pieces, maybe we get a better, uh, broader view of what we're dealing with and how we can help each other. Um, so a question I always like to ask Ray is um, most people I know in insurance, whether it's on the property restoration side as contractors or um, selling insurance or any involvement in insurance, most people don't set out to get involved. So I know you went to Notre Dame um, and, and obviously intended to practice law, but when, I guess, tell us a little bit about your legal background and when that intersected with the insurance industry. So the one thing I knew coming out of Notre Dame is that I, I wanted to do litigation. I love the kind of the competitive aspect of litigation and it kind of always drew out the uh, kind of the energy in me and the, and the ambition, the competitiveness. Uh, so I started out in a litigation group and I, I, I think you touched on it exactly. Uh, like most people, I didn't choose insurance. Insurance chose me. Uh, I was working in a litigation group at a big firm. They had a major insurance coverage case on asbestos. And uh, they, they had like 20 depositions that needed to be taken in 30 days. And they said, we need a litigator help. And I said, well, I will help. But uh, I just want you to know right now that I don't want to do insurance ever again. And I will help you with this case. And I will then drop insurance, which sounds like the most uh, uninteresting thing in the world to me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I caught the bug and fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. So it's yeah. taken up, uh, uh, I've been practicing law for almost 25 years, and, and like you said, just over 20 years of that has been working on insurance coverage. Oh, geez. So, yeah, maybe that's a topic for another time. So your <laughs> initial introduction was asbestos. So uh, we all know that has a, a, a deep history in right. all of our fields. Um, and so, um, so as it relates to um, insurance law, um, I think I became where we were sharing uh, a LinkedIn thread discussing policy exclusions. And um, you had made mention that not all policies uh, have exclusions for bacteria, viruses, or communicable diseases. So um, I guess one area is even prior to uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, um, obviously an issue like this kind of brings out that we have um, some holes in the system and, and maybe some areas of exposure so even prior to that, what are you, what have you seen and what has your experience been with policy exclusions and people's kind of lack of understanding in that area that uh, this is bringing to light? Right. Well, so one thing I'll say is, is having litigated uh, uh, the asbestos in the asbestos world yeah. and specifically coverage over asbestos, you know, it's amazing to see 
uh, a decision that was made maybe even accidentally by, by someone in underwriting or someone who's putting a policy together and they forget to include this or that piece of paper and a decision made 20, 30 years ago can, can, you know, have impacts that are millions or even billions of dollars. And yeah. so we, you know, spend a lot of time and money trying to, to, to recreate policies. Maybe we didn't have complete policy evidence, uh, you know, because in the, in the asbestos context, exposure was occurring in the, in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, yeah. and the litigation was in the two thousands. And so, yeah. you know, you're going back and you're realizing, oops, somebody used this word incorrectly by mistake. And now that's going to turn, you know, a million dollar policy into a hundred million dollar policy. Wow. Uh, and so it's funny how in the insurance world, you see how such small little things and uses of words and, and, you know, someone forgets to include an exclusion or endorsement uh, turns into such a, a huge impact. And so I think that's what you're really going to see in the coming years coming out of coronavirus uh, because, you know, the, the ISO forms did inc include, um, the ISO forms did include uh, a communicable disease exclusion starting in about 2006. This was coming out of the SARS virus. Uh, so after SARS hit, I think the insurance world realized they needed to put some kind of a cap on their, on their exposure. Uh, and so they did have an exclusion, but it wasn't part of the main forms. It was an endorsement that had to be added to the policies. So I think the, uh, the article that you'd refer to talks about how every policy the, that particular broker had ever seen included that endorsement. I happened to be working on an assignment for a client uh, where we were looking through a policy and it was a 150 page policy, but that endorsement is, uh, was accidentally not included. Oh. And so that's, that's a decision that's gonna affect that particular client uh, a tremendous amount because yes, it's, it became at some point commonplace to include a, a communicable disease exclusion uh, and yet here I was at this very moment looking at a policy that for no good reason just didn't have that exclusion in it. Wow. Uh, so I think the, the lesson there is for every policyholder to be pouring through their policies uh, to see what exclusions are in there and what aren't in there and, and what the exclusion may apply to. For example, another policy I was looking at today, it had that exclusion for uh, first party property coverage, but not for liability coverage. So you okay. may see a policy that has, has a communicable disease exclusion, but it may be only limited to a certain piece of the policy and not the whole policy. Yeah. Uh, so I think the main lesson there is you're just going to have to read your policies, you know, very carefully. And even though they're 150 very boring pages, yeah. uh, you know, a, a missing word here or there, you know, could make millions of dollars of difference. Know, know what you're buying and as a broker, know what you're selling. Yeah. But the problem is, is that at the time it's being sold, uh, you, you don't anticipate how sure. it's going to be used. So at the time these policies were sold, no one imagined what's happening today to all of us. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just, it's, it's little mistakes like that, um, you know, can create such unintended consequences. Yeah. So I think the lesson is today, look at the policies that you've already, that you already have and see what you got or didn't get because, you know, by and large courts are going to enforce what's in the policy. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah, like you, you mentioned SARS, right? So we have some instances where we see, you know, flare ups and things like that. But, uh, um, and I'm not sure if this is an area of, of specialty for you, but like you've got the civil authority in action. And um, I think that's the first lawsuit, right, is in New Orleans where the restaurants taking on their carrier. Um, so as it relates to 
you know, and that's not my area of specialty, but like loss of, of revenue and those kinds of things. So in relationship to that, what are you seeing as far as like uh, COVID goes and triggering events um, and defining the damages, um, you know, I guess how that relates to insurance and then if, if you see applications of that for property right. restoration companies, which is obviously our primary audience. Yeah, for sure. So I think there's really going to be two main issues. And I think the, the Louisiana case brings out both of these. So question one is, uh, does, does the coronavirus actually uh, affect a physical change in property? Right. So mo most, a lot of policies, including the business interruption policies, and certainly this is going to be relevant to your clients uh, and the people you work with in the construction industry, but does coronavirus virus, as it affects property, does that constitute quote property damage? Mm. Uh, because it's 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 commonplace for the especially in the first party policies, property policies, to be triggered off of physical damage. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I think what they're saying is that it's not transmitted from property to people, but they can't rule out that it's transmitted from property. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, a, if a person, you know, touches or coughs on, on, a, on a table or a chair uh, and then it's touched by somebody else, uh, you know, I think it remains an open question whether or not that the contamination can spread that way. Hmm. Uh, and so and then but, but, but subsumed within that question is going to be, uh, is the property physically altered by the fact that it might have uh, contaminated respiratory droplets on it? Yeah. Uh, because normally we, we think of that as being on the surface and not, not affecting the physical change. Uh, but I think one of the things we saw coming out of 9-11 is courts are going to be very aggressive about trying to find coverage. Uh, given the devastating impact this is having on people economically, um, there's, they're gonna, the courts are going to want to spread the loss if they can. And so if they can stretch the meaning of physical damage to say, yeah, we're going to call this physical damage so that the insurance industry helps you know, support the businesses uh, that are suffering so much. I think you're going to see courts probably try to construe things aggressively. Yeah. So I think that's the first question is, is it physical damage? And then I think with regard to the, to the uh, civil authority, a lot of the business interruption policies uh, do provide coverage uh, for a close of business at a directive of a civil authority. So there the question is, if, if your property may not be, quote, contaminated, uh, but authority has ordered you to shut down uh, and you've got now an exclusion that says any losses arising out of uh, communicable disease. So now is that loss of business, is it caused by the civil authority directive or is it caused by the disease? Yeah. Because obviously it's caused by both. And so there the question is going to be, what do the courts think is the proximate cause of the shutdown? Is the proximate cause the virus or is the proximate cause the civil authority directive? Yeah. And again, that's going to be a situation where you could, you know, it's a very esoteric argument, with, which yeah. brought me to insurance in the first place. Uh, but, but again, I think you'll probably find courts aggressively trying to find coverage if they at all can. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have water damage or you have, you know, mold and those kinds of things. And it's, you identify where it's coming from and the extent of it and, and you attack it. And this is uh, a... Yeah. Um, now we have lots of companies that deal with, you know, infectious um, outbreaks and those kinds of things. So there's there's some application there. Yeah, um, and I think that's a good place to turn actually, because I think 
you know, a, a, we've seen, especially in Florida, and I don't know to what extent uh, your, your clients are in Florida or elsewhere, but especially in Florida, we've seen on the insurance side, a large problem with restoration companies effectively finding the damage. Uh, you know, they'll go into people's houses and find water damage and immediately restore it and then send the bill to us as the insurance company. Uh, which has been a, a significant problem for us because it puts us in a very difficult spot for for accepting or denying coverage. So I do wonder if we'll start to see that in the coronavirus context where restoration companies will go in and offer to clean up someone's coronavirus contamination. You know, we'll go down and wipe, you know, put on hazmat suits and and do a, a deep cleaning of your of your house or your property uh, and then send a bill to insurance companies. And so there the question is going to be, is that property damage? Well, yeah. I think two part. One is that property damage, which we discussed earlier. But I think the second question is going to be, you know, did, did you undertake reasonable measures to clean up the property damage? Because is it not really anything more than putting disinfectant wipes, you know, right. on, on, on any and what evidence is there that any particular property was was even contaminated? Yeah. Uh, so I do think you, you, you may see some of the restoration companies try to turn this into a business making proposition, which, you know, from the insurance company perspective, I think, you know, we're happy to pay for legitimate losses, but, but we don't like being taken advantage of, especially in a, in a crisis situation. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I have friends and peers in the industry and there's some people that are staying away from it completely and other people that, uh, you know, the calls are coming in. So, you know, somebody's going to provide that service and um, trying to put the best uh, application of known, you know, procedures in place to uh, provide a service that people are demanding, you know, right. calling for. So, and, and so uh, the, the advice I would have there is I think you, you number one, should make a, a, a fair record or they should make a fair record that there is contamination. Uh, if we as insurance companies start getting bills, and are asked to pay them and there's no real evidence of contamination that was cleaned up then we feel like we're being scammed sure uh, so if there's a legitimate request and you can show okay here we've taken various tasks or, or, or through other means we can verify that there's a situation here a legitimate situation that we're trying to resolve uh, i think you'll, you'll by and large you'll find insurance companies want to cooperate uh, they know it's a crisis for everyone they want to do what's fair they just don't like being taken advantage of. So if there's a documented showing that, uh, that there was actual exposure in the property in question, uh, you know, you, you've got, a, for example, a confirmed uh, case of, of coronavirus by somebody who was living there or, or a patron or an owner or whatnot. Um, and, and there's real reason to think that there's contamination and B that you think you're actually doing something to solve it. Sure. Um, you know, as opposed to just we're just going door to door, you know, supposedly cleaning up properties and sending you bills. Yeah. Uh, I think you want to make that showing. And if it's a legitimate showing, I think you'll find more often than not that the carriers will, will cooperate. Yeah. Well, and we always try to say, I mean, even regardless of COVID, tell the story of the loss, right? What, what are, right. what is the value proposition? What's the need? And then uh, what were the measures that you went and. Um, exactly right. Like, and I, I like how you said that, a legitimate situation in response, yeah. yeah. And I think also stay in communication with the carriers. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's when after the fact we get sent bills that there's some resentment. I think to the extent, you know, before you start spending a lot of money and engaging a lot of work, sure. you know, the claim has been reported, you say what you're going to do, uh, you either ask for permission or you say, look, unless you object, we're gonna take these measures. 
uh, if we're being kept informed throughout the process from the care yeah. perspective, I think we'll be cooperative. A much more uh, amicable relationship. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I, man, Ray, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, I, my goal was to keep this short and, and you, you know, stay in the realm of the three questions. Um, you've been very generous with your time. Is there anything else you'd like to, any closing thoughts that you think are relevant? No, I just want everyone to, to be well, be safe, and uh, let's see what we can do to flatten the curve. Yeah, very good. And how can people, um, if people want to reach out, how can they uh, find out about uh, you and your company? So, uh, yeah, and actually, I, I just literally started my law firm. It's my own law firm. Uh, we've got about four or five attorneys. We're in Los Angeles, but we do work across the country. And uh, so RJT and Associates, and our website is rjtlawyers.com. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Ray. Thank you. You have a great day and be safe. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Raymond Titman of Titman Wex. Um, what a, a, a diverse uh, background, you know, in that labyrinth of insurance coverage and complexities. Uh, you know, he's in the thick of complex issues and um, him taking the time to talk to us about uh, his perspectives on COVID-19. It was very interesting. I think you can, um, I believe we touch on that in the interview, but just his perspective, quote unquote, from the other side for uh, property restoration contractors, talking about how frustrating it is when, you know, after the fact, um, you know, trying to get information, hey, we did this cleanup or, or we did this uh uh, mitigation we did these repairs and here's the documentation and it's you know incomplete and um, you know if, if very little effort was made to include the carrier or the adjuster on the front end you know obviously that can be frustrating I, I I know been there done that and I know there's people that'll immediately you know object and say you know well what happens when you reach out and they don't respond you know or is the customer just supposed to wait so um, you know there's obviously multiple sides to that story, but his admonition was to communicate early and often, right? And as it pertains to um, COVID-19, what did he say? Documenting due, their due diligence to create a fair record that there was contamination present in the space so that the insurance companies can determine exposure and support a legitimate response to the issues affecting the client. So... You know, if you rush in and you haven't made an attempt or encouraged the client to reach out to their carrier, you know, that uh, that can put that paradigm at odds and then obviously provide, excuse me, provide value wherever service are off, services are offered. The contractor should be able to provide that documentation, tell the story of the loss and, you know, bring the bring the carrier into that picture um, and so, so that, you know, is interesting hearing just those basics. Those are things that, you know, we've talked about, um, at length here and in articles that we've written. And, um, you know, it's funny how the basic things, you know, remain the core items, um, on both sides, you know, all parties it, it protects you as the contractor protects the client, you know, whether that's a building owner or a business owner or, you know, property manager, whoever that might be, and then also, um, you know, the client. And so, um, you know, uh, like I mentioned prior, um, oh, at the time that Raymond and I spoke, 
the first case in Louisiana where a restaurant was suing their insurance company uh, for business interruption related to civil authority. And we talk about that a little bit with David Princeton in episode one, but Property Casualty 360 did a, a write-up on that, and the complaint maintains that the global pandemic is exacerbated by the fact that the deadly virus physically infects and stays on the surface of objects or materials, fomites, for up to 28 days, particularly in humid areas below 84 degrees. Further, the complaint states that it is clear that contamination of the insured premises by the coronavirus would be a direct physical loss needing remediation to clean the surfaces of the establishment. So that was early on. And those are, you know, again, kind of the extreme discussion about whether there's a property damage, um, whether the coronavirus causes a property damage, property damage that enacts a loss, which would be covered. And then even, and that's where some of that business interruption is coming in, even when there's not a direct contamination, but you're being shut down by civil authority. And so, um, you know, most recently, and unfortunately this hadn't come out at the time when we were talking, but President Trump, speaking from a White House briefing, said, um, you have people that have never asked for business interruption insurance, and they've been paying a lot of money for a lot of years for the privilege of having it. And then when they finally need it, the insurance company says, we're not going to give it. We can't let that happen. That's what Trump said. And so um, it's interesting. I don't. I know there's probably many restorers where you're having that conversation with a client who thinks they're owed something that's not uh, a part of the direct damage or might be in the gray area. And um, that gets into some of the nuances of, we'll talk to your adjuster or we can present you an estimate for the damages and then things that aren't covered we can assist you with um, th those those get into the trickier areas of the claim um, and you know many people advise don't get into those discussions you're not an adjuster um, you know stick to to what we know so I asked uh, Ray uh, via email to comment on President Trump's um, most recent comments and let's see had it a minute ago. So he said, um, uh, let's see, for business interruptions, this is Raymond Titman talking, for business interruption policies without a virus exclusion, the public discussion generally misunderstands the terms. BI or business interruption coverage is a rider to property insurance and covers business interruption caused by property damage, example, while floodwaters are cleaned up. It does not stand alone to cover any business interruption. Excuse me. In other words, there needs to be a predicate property damage. Several senators responded to the comments of President Trump and addressed the issue. For business interruption policies with a virus exclusion, there should not be a serious debate. So it's interesting, you know, um, uh, on the one side, you know, buyer needs to be informed what you are buying. And obviously, the more value your property has, then the more you need to get into, you know, the details of what is being covered. I know, um, thankfully... <laughs> 
it sounds like an oxymoron, but um, you know, our insurance agent is also a good family friend, and um, you know, we talk pretty candidly. Every house we've been to, our last house was like a zone 10, uh, I think is what they call a fire rating, you know, basically the house would burn down before the fire department got there. So we wanted, and we had a really nice shop, and so we wanted some additional coverages. And um, even here recently at the, the home we bought in Washington, another agent was trying to tell us that we were overinsured and paying too much, and it was it was rather comical, the conversation, because we knew exactly what we had covered and why it was costing more, and and uh, he, he couldn't understand why we would opt to pay more. Um, but I don't know about you, but I've been on the other side of that where, um, you know, somebody's had and, and come to find out why their insurance company was much cheaper than the competitors, you know, at the time when they need it the most. And so I can remember a time we were restoring a commercial property near a university and when we were getting the permits, one of the um, permit uh, professionals was asking how this um, company was getting, you know, um, things covered like uh, code upgrades and the permit costs and those things because I can't remember if it was for his own home or business, but a lot of things had been rejected. And so we had a brief conversation about, you know, buyer needs to be informed about what they're buying and also seller needs to, you need to know thy product, you know. So if you're shopping insurance, I mean, we tell that to our customers all the time. Cheaper isn't always better. It applies to insurance. What's interesting about this discussion with business interruption, you know, is, um, you know, obviously the insurance companies aren't a sympathetic character. You know, everybody knows that they're making good money. And so, um, you know, when everything's kind of crumbling, um, you know, that uh, everybody needs to pitch in. But to what degree and what that looks like, um, you know, that's I think that's going to be a battle that we're going to be having for a long time. But those riders and exclusions you know, there's readers, there's reasons things are cheaper, um, but those nuances of what constitutes real damage. The encouraging thing to me in talking to Raymond, who's again, quote unquote, on the other side, the basics matter, right? The communication that uh, um, we need to communicate with all parties in the loss, you know, that's, uh, you know, both one of the interesting aspects of doing property restoration and, you know, sometimes can be very laborious, you know, keeping everybody that's party to the claim updated and informed. Um, and then the documentation, telling the story of the loss, or as Raymond said, that fair record, and then ensuring that you're providing value, you know, and sometimes, you know, in this COVID, some of that's perceived value. Um, you know, we've talked about that with uh, several contractors, but uh, just making sure that that's communicated uh, correctly so it doesn't come back in the end to bite you in the butt. But, uh, you know, all in all, a time to dial in our practices. This is not business as usual. And, you know, I know in Washington, at least currently, we're shut down until May 4th. So, you know, when, when we do get let back out of our cages, you know, it's not going to be business as usual. And so, you know, it's just encouraging to talk to other contractors, you know, um, and some of our prior guests about innovating and finding new ways to serve our way through this, you know, finding ways to connect with the community. And um, I appreciate you listening. Hopefully you're finding some value with this and uh, uh, we'll see you next time. Can you hear me?
Hey, Ray. No. Microphone little arrow next to the microphone, and then you can test speaker and microphone. Okay. Um, uh, um, I'm sorry. I'll start over.